The devil has many forms, but you probably already knew that, right? Sometimes he looks like a lumbering beast. Other times he might be disguised as a man of law. And other times he ain't nothing but a wagon wheel. You might think I fall in love easily, but I don't. Oh, sure, I've had many admirers, but the admiration was always one-sided. A guy shows up with a dozen roses typically means he's expecting something in return. And no matter how many leaves and petals you stick in my face, I'm the kind of gal who can always spot the thorns. But Shaman John, my John, was different. He just gave because it felt good to him. He truly was a blessed soul. When you come to Pleasure Town, the past don't matter. Who you were, what you did, pretty easy to shake all that off. That's my story. Had a whole life as a nurse. Tapped by the daughters of the American Revolution to serve during the Spanish-American War as our boys were dying of nasty bugs like typhoid and malaria. Saw a lot of suffering during that time. Lots of brothers and sons fade away into the ether. Horrific passings they were. By the time my services were no longer needed, I had had my fill of agony. So when I heard about a place called Pleasure Town, it seemed like the sky had opened up and delivered a message that I couldn't help but to hear. And so I packed what few things I had to my name and set out for adventure. My new home was good to me. Living came easy. Never wanted for anything, and every day seemed to welcome a new spectacle. I recall clear as day the time a herd of cattle got loose and ran straight into the brothel. You haven't lived until you've seen a cow trample through the town square with a pair of ladies' knickers knotted around her horn. And then I met John. Sweet, innocent John. A man like that wouldn't usually take to Pleasure Town. All doe-eyed and sincere... But somehow it worked for him. And it worked for me, too. After seeing all those men die, I didn't think I'd be able to truly let go and love. Not a lot of good can come of wrapping your life around someone like a vine to a beanpole. But sometimes what you do isn't really your choice. You're just moved to do it. Which is why, I guess, it's all the more tragic that it ended the way it did. On that walk with that mist hanging in the air. Nothing but the rustle of tree limbs and the occasional bird chirp to disturb our conversation. There was a chill, I remember, which is why I hugged that purple coat around me so tightly that the feathers along the collar tickled my nose. And then a sound of a horse, the creaking of wood, a crash, a wheel, the sky, crimson, the steam from my breath and then nothing. From WBEZ Chicago and the unending disquiet, this is Pleasure Town. Around the turn of last century, a group of folk built their dream, a town where happiness was the main objective. But as history has shown, there's a dozen thorns for every bloom. So gather your friends and join us as we piece together Pleasure Town. Got a question for you, Claude. We'll see if I feel like answering. Can one run away from who they are? Well, I ran away from my father on the farm, and you ran away from your family. 
So I'd say yes. Yes, one can. Where you were born is not who you are. Nature, not nurture. I don't think you can neglect the nurturing. Maybe you just don't understand. Never having cared much for anything. No, I haven't nurtured, but I have been nurtured, and I still don't think any of it brought a dent to my core. I am Cyrus, and always will be Cyrus, no matter how hard I may run. Well, why are you asking, then, if you already got the answer? I swear sometimes, Cy. Sometimes. I'm asking because I think there are folks stronger than me. Folks better at running. I believe the path to escape in oneself can take many forms. A move. A beer. A woman. For me, it was a pile of books. But with each last page, I found the same old sigh waiting for me. Sounds a bit like our old friend Rudd. Try to leave the stage. But the spotlight has a tendency to follow. Stepping away from the stage was the hardest thing I'd ever done. But Pleasure Town, with all its glorious vices and lost souls, made it a little easier. Those first few years were lived in a haze. My meals were taken with a side of liquor and cheap tranquilizers that I'd buy by the dozen from Grover, the town veterinarian. My nights were spent groggily catcalling the gals who showed off their wares on the balcony of Bordello Bonsoir, followed by long, meandering walks along the banks of the rising river. And my mornings, they were spent waking up in some stranger's yard covered in dirt and dew with a faded memory of the prior night flickering in my mind. Now, you might be thinking, I wasn't acting like myself, and you'd be wrong. You want to know a secret about all of us professional funnymen? We're miserable. When the people leave and the house lights go up, that bright emptiness is nothing but a cheerless tramp who's just fiending for his next laugh. You see, laughter is how we keep the sadness at bay. Not our own laughter, of course. The laughter of others. Because a chuckle is like a cough or a belch. It's a sound the body can't help but make. And it makes it when something you want to hear connects with something you feel. So that laugh, that's just somebody's body saying, thank you. Thank you for saying what I was feeling. But when you're a stage performer by birth and you aren't being wanted by anyone, well, (laughs) that misery just boils over and begins to overflow and that's when you find yourself one morning being jostled awake in Mrs. Ragdale's bird bath cursing your hangover and missing a boot of course a depressed dipsomaniac isn't exactly considered friend material but my debaucherous ways won me some fans specifically the town roughnecks oh there are different gangs of them 
each up to their own unique form of no good. The Waxmen boys, Connie Braggart's posse, the Dusty Pickens with his harem of femme fatales, to name a few. And they all gravitated toward me. Mud was one such moth drawn to my flame. Met him on one of my regular visits to Grover. This visit already started out odd, as my approach scared off a little girl with olive skin and sable hair. I couldn't have been more than ten. I didn't give her much thought, as I had my own priorities to attend to. Grover! I'm here with a bottle of Kentucky's finest. Thought I might trade you for some more of them pills. Grover! There was no answer. So I walked around back to see if he was stocking the shed. I told you, I'm all out. Completely cleaned out, in fact. What do you mean he ain't got any more of the stuff? Miss Goldie will be very displeased. And when Miss Goldie's displeased, I have a tendency to get a little violent. Please, Mud. I've got it on back order. It should be a few days. A few days? Tis a pity. A pity that you won't have a nose when I'm done having me fun. Whoa! Hey, boys. Hope I'm not interrupting. But I was wondering if I could have a word with Grover here. As you can see, Grover here is a little busy. But I'm sure he can lend you an ear. Or at least part of one. <laughs> Get it. Ear. Funny. Well, uh... Mud. Mud. What, what a coincidence. My name is Rudd. Rudd Mud. Mud Rudd. And you'll be known as Dead Rudd if you don't leave me to my business. Now, I am nothing if not a contributing member of society. What is it here that you're looking for Grover to do you for? Picking up an order for Goldie. A special order. Well, another coincidence. I'm picking up an order, too. Yeah, well, the son of a bitch ain't got what I'm looking for, but I sure as hell ain't leaving empty-handed. I'm gonna sell what I steal to make a pretty penny. Mind if you tell me what you're in the market for? Opium. Opium? Miss Goldie, she needs it. Can't get enough of the stuff. And Grover here isn't so good at keeping his promises. Well, look, I, I get your frustrations, truly. It's like when you're on your way to breakfast at Wholesome Gulch, and you can just taste those warm, buttery grits. But you get there, and wouldn't you know it, they're all out. Hey, I'm a sucker for those grits. Of course you are. Who isn't? I tell you what, I got a buddy I can telegram who deals in laudanum. That should hold over Goldie until Grover here can get his order in. Right, Grover? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. I could see Mud was mulling me over, trying to figure me out. He wasn't the kind of guy to just have a change of heart. The only reason he'd ever drop his knife would be if a better opportunity presented itself. I was looking forward to making a mess here, but you're quite the salesman, Rudd. Tell you what, I'll take you up on your offer. If your man comes through, then all is well in Pleasure Town. But if he's so much as a day late, I'll make some adjustments to your face. Fortunately... My face remained unchanged. My guy came through, just like I said he would, even threw in an extra couple tinctures to hold Goldie over until Grover could restock. Saved Grover his life. Saved me the hassle of finding another Grover. And just like that, I had proved my usefulness to Mud. And the two of us, 
Well, we actually became pals. I mean, was he maniacal? Sure. A little sadistic, you bet. But the companionship still felt nice all the same. A toast to my newest friend, Mr. Rudd. A sham with a tongue like silver and a face like a baby. Now, let's say you and me take a midnight stroll to Bordello Bonsier. I hear they've got a new gal. A blonde, this one is. I'd like to make her squeal. <laughs> How exactly will we pay for this lady's services? It's not like we've got more than a buck to our names. Hey, I'll let you in on a little secret, my friend. Mud reached down into his shirt and pulled out a pendant that hung on a chain around his neck. It seemed to radiate a pale glow. You see this, fella? Tis my magic stone. Don't tell me you're into lucky charms. You plunker. This here is the real deal. Found it on a job a few years back. Sewn into the lining. Imagine that. I, I don't know anything about magic, but I do know that strumpets don't accept rocks. I ain't gonna give it to him. I'm gonna use it for myself. Like I said, the feckin' thing is magic. And I think you've had one too many pints. I'll tell you what, how about you run along without me? I'm sure you'll share all the details of your conquest later. See what I mean? It's a bit of a kook. But the man knew how to have a good time. And, for me, good times were in short supply. The stage. It's like a drug. Just as real as any tincture of opium or tablet of tranquilizer. Mud must have known I was in withdrawal because when he saw that sign nailed to Kaiser's Cabaret for the Pleasure Town Talent Show, you bet your backside he came knocking. Rudd, you gowl. I know you're in there. You better show up tonight. I told the gang you'd be making an appearance and Goldie is just dying to meet you. <laughs> 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 Truth be told, as much as I missed those limelights, the idea of performing again didn't sit well with me. I was r- rusty. Ain't nothing worse than a joke that floats like lead. But saying no to mud didn't seem like something one did without consequence. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the first ever Pleasure Town Talent Show. The entertainment, it is free. The drinks, they are not. So pay up or get out. Hopefully there is much talent in the room tonight. Yes? We shall see. Winner is picked by your applause. Now let this show begin. First up was Goldie, singing a somber tune. When... My feeble life is o'er Time for me will be no more Guide me gently, 
safely o'er to thy kingdom shore to thy shore she commanded that stage by the end of the song i loved her as much as i feared her which i assumed was a skill she used in spades bulger followed and his talent was as uncomplicated as he was. Mud came next. And, well... I wrote a little poem. Here it is for you. There once was a lass named Clay who got lost somewhere along the way. She was my sister. I certainly miss her. Now see her. On my dying day. Shakespeare, he wasn't. But the audience cheered as if he was. We all knew better than to disappoint old Mud. And then it was my turn. Almost walked away when they called my name. But Goldie was dying to meet me, and I had to admit I was a little curious myself. Might as well see this game progress a few more turns. Well, hello. Hello, everyone. How y'all doing tonight? Give it up for the Kaiser, a man who has all the warmth and personality of a tumbleweed. (laughs) Now, you all heard about Ma Barker, right? Knocked her husband upside the head with a frying pan. Funny. Because I would have thought he'd be done in by her cooking. (laughs) And what about Cyrus and Claude? Or should I say... Tweedledee and Tweedledrunk. One's always got his face in a book, and the other, well, he's usually just face down. And there it was again. Their rush. Their bolt to the chest. I fed off their energy like a starved coyote on a carcass. And wouldn't you know it? Paid off. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our show. I think we all know who the winner is. His name rhymes with mud, but he is not mud, he is Rudd. That is who won. Congratulations. I went on stage and gave my trademark wink and a bow. Spotted a couple pretty ladies who I planned to bed later that night. I was shaking my ninth or tenth hand when mud pulled me away from the crowd. Looks like you still got some of that good old charm in you after all. Yes. I was quite impressed. Hell, it was nothing compared to your singing, Miss Goldie. Young man, flattery will get you everywhere. Good looking, smooth talking. You've done well, Mud. Quite well. I told you he could be handy. That you did. Well, Rudd, I believe you're smart enough to know what we're asking. So, what do you say? I gave Goldie's offer a moment's thought. The stench of trouble was deep on all of them. Then again, it sure felt nice to be wanted. How I missed being wanted. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. Here's another question. Is your identity solely your own? Can we escape who we are? 
Is your identity solely your own? Is there a Santa Claus? Enough with the questions. Lie, Miss Questions. But let's speak in specifics. Or rather, I'll let Evie speak for us. I guess I always knew she'd leave me. Somewhere deep down in whatever that place is where women can sense bad things coming. Bad things that could feel like empty if empty had a feeling. I always had that when I was around Florence. I was the responsible one. Not because I had this great need to be responsible. No, I was responsible because I had to be. When I was 13 and Flo was 9, our parents died from what the sheriff told us was a misunderstanding. I don't know what kind of misunderstanding leaves two people dead on the streets of a small town like Snyder, but no one could tell us anything different. So I stopped asking. Flo, though, she kept on asking. What happened to Mama and Daddy this time, Evie? And every time I'd want to cry because I knew I couldn't tell Florence the truth. How could you tell that to someone so much smaller than you? So I kept on making up stories about what could have happened, just to get her to take her behind to sleep. Snyder was quiet. Folks say it was so quiet you could hear hearts beating a mile away. And if you heard someone's heart, it was probably for Flo. As we grew up, every single eligible bachelor thought they were in love with her at one time or another. They'd come by the house asking to see her. Hey, Miss Evelyn, is Miss Florence around? I'd like to... No, now get off my porch before I get you off my porch. I quickly got a reputation for being the mean sister. But Flo needed protection, not just from the young men in town, but from herself as well. Ever since she was little, she was always just living in her own world, full of fantasies and lacking a consequence. Meanwhile, I was the one who kept the house after Ma and Pa passed. And then the tornado hit. It was May of 1905. I had never really seen much of a tornado in Snyder, not one to write home about anyway. But this one was biblical. The sky changed colors, dark funnels started swirling above. Florence and I were walking home from the store... I was staring at the sky, terrified, with her arm barely touching mine, when all of a sudden she smacked my shoulder hard and yelled, You it, Evie? Last one to the house is dead. It took me a second, but I broke into a sprint, trailing just behind Flo. I was coming up pretty close behind her, running along dirt roads and jumping over cracks. She let her hair down from the two matching braids we wore. Her hair loose and free bounced as she ran up and down the streets. Mine stayed close to my head as I followed. By the time we made it home, out of breath and giggling at the silliness of two grown women running like children, we only had a few moments to board up the windows before the storm really hit. Once the job was done, we sat on our basement floor sharing a small batch of moonshine while I braided her hair and she made me tell her another story about what had happened to our parents. We fell asleep in that position and didn't even hear the tornado come down our street.
The next few days felt like we were in another place, another time. Entire houses gone, the sheriff's office gone, the schoolhouse gone. In their places were some boards here, a sink basin there, and dirt. Lots of dirt. Over a hundred people were dead, more had vanished. Vanished. Don't that just seem like a made-up word? I took to doing what I could to restore a sense of community to the town. I helped clean up what I could and even taught a few classes to the few children whose parents would let them come over to a Negro woman's house. Florence, on the other hand, was growing restless. That is, until Jerome came through. I could instantly tell he was good for nothing. His teeth were too white, his eyes sparkled a bit too much, and he just seemed so damn happy. Not to mention that guitar he always had slung over his shoulder. Florence brought him home with her one day. He opened the door for her and followed, taking his hat off in respect towards me and throwing one of those smiles that simultaneously felt like it had never been hurt and could have done a whole lot of hurting. But I could see why Flo fell for him. Those sparkling eyes. You could lose yourself in them. For a moment, I thought I lost my ability to speak. Hell, even to stand. I had to hold on to the counter to steady myself. I had never seen a man like that before. But here one was, in my kitchen, staring at me and completely infatuated with my baby sister. Later that night, I heard whispering on the front porch. I opened the door to see Jerome and Florence talking excitedly. What's going on out here? We're leaving, Evie. A buddy of mine knows of a train that don't check no tickets towards the back. A bunch of us is heading out tonight. There's a place, a pleasure town, not too far from here for folks like us. Folks like who, exactly? Folks who are a little different, Evie. Folks who are too big for little old Snyder. She says something else, but at that point I could only tell that her lips were moving. I looked at both of them. Jerome with a guitar over his shoulder and one hand reaching out towards her. And Florence, all gussied up in our mama's dress, yellow with lace around the collar. She looked so pretty and so scared. I think I heard her say, I'm sorry, but I'm not sure. I walked back into the house and slammed the door. A few moments later, I looked out the window because she must have been joking. She must just be hiding down the street or, or behind the door. She must just be pulling my leg. But she wasn't. They were gone. About a month later, I found an envelope on my doorstep. I almost didn't open it, but I did. Dear Evie, it read, this place is something else. Jerome and I all moved in and settled. We didn't really have a lot, just some clothes and a few trinkets. We're living with a few of his newer friends, men he met on his way to Oklahoma. We make up an odd little family, but a family nonetheless. Last week, Jerome played his guitar right outside our door while I sang for him. Well, not just for him, but for our neighbors, too. I thought they'd be mad, but they all just seemed to be gone about their business. Some stopped and joined in, but most just sat on their porches and watched and drank. For the moment, I think Jerome and I are planning on being the town's musicians. Ain't that something? You can just choose where you want to be and what you want to do here. 
It's crazy like that. If I decided today that I wanted to be a dancer, I could just do that. I could just be that. I worry about Jerome some. I think he's a little preoccupied with wanting people to like him. He cares too much about what folks think about him. And he's quick to talk, always has something to say. I think people find him a little too defensive, which isn't good to be around here. Folks don't have much patience for someone who's always ready to pounce. They pounce back. Shoot, he even get a little testy with me. Can't ask him nothing before he's storming out the house and down to the saloon. I asked him the other day when he think he'd be back, and he snapped. Who you think you is, Evelyn? He was just being silly. You should come visit, Evelyn. You'd like it. Hell, I think you'd love it. I could see you here on our porch with your head down, singing with me. We could use another woman in the house. I could use another woman in the house. It's a little lonely being the only one. And there are a lot of men to choose from here, much more than in Snyder. Don't you think it's time for you to meet someone? For someone to make you feel the same way that Jerome makes me feel? There's nothing left for you there, Evie. With all the love I have left, Flo. There's nothing left for you there. I think she might have been on to something. When all the floors were swept and mopped, the windows cleaned and the dishes washed, there really wasn't nothing left for me. That night I sat on my porch sipping moonshine and looking out at the sky. I wonder if Flo was looking at the sky too. There we were, in the same state and under the same sky, but feeling lonely as ever. I sat on that porch surrounded by nothing but ghosts and thought, I should just go. I could just go. So I did. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. And then a sound of a horse, the creaking of wood, a crash, a deer, the sky, crimson, the steam from my breath, and then nothing. And then everything, everything all at once. Time and distance were nothing. The beginning and the end of all were one, and I was floating above my own limp body as John clutched it in his arms, sobbing, just like I had clutched all those men as the fever swept them away. I saw John leave, running back toward town, crying for help, and then, once he had breached the forest's edge, a woman. She had leapt down from the driver's seat of the wagon, disguised in a long leather jacket and hat, but the corset peeking out gave her away. She bent down over my corpse as if to pay her respects, as if to perhaps ask for forgiveness about the terrible accident she had caused. But instead of clasping her hands in prayer or making the sign of the cross, she unsheathed a blade and began cutting into the lining of my coat. When she didn't find whatever it was she was looking for, I saw her stand up, my fresh blood dripping from her fingers. 
She then turned toward the path John had taken, the path toward Pleasure Town, and disappeared into the mist. The devil has many forms. But you probably already knew that, right? Sometimes he looks like a lumbering beast. Other times he might be disguised as a man of law. And other times, he ain't nothing but a wagon wheel. Town listeners, this is Emily Modaf, associate producer of the show, and I wanted to extend a huge thank you for coming back and listening to episode four. A friendly reminder that we, the Pleasure Town team, love to see your original Pleasure Town art. You can submit your artwork by emailing us at pleasuretownshow at gmail.com, tweeting us at pleasuretownok, okay, or finding us on Facebook. And if you like the show, go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes. As always, it's time to thank the people that made this episode possible. This episode of Pleasure Town was written by Keith Ecker and Sam Bailey and performed by Sam Bailey, Brittany Love-Smith, Torian Miller, Miriam Sobe, Josh Zagorn, Kelsey Huff, Dan Kerr, Shane Kenyon, and editorial oversight by Joe Dassault with help from Brad Helm and Colleen Pellissier. Pleasure Town was created by Keith Ecker and Aaron Cahill. Our associate producer is me, Emily Modaf, and our wonderful interns are Joe Courtney, Lizzie Seidenstricker, Colin Wright, and Brady Guy, who sometimes looks like a lumbering beast, and other times... He ain't nothing but a wagon wheel. Original music was composed and performed by River Rising's Megan Diger and Tim Hazen and engineered by Colin Ashmead Bobbitt. Pleasure Town is a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network. You can discover more excellent shows by visiting wbez.org slash podcasts. Pleasure Town is an ever-growing interactive narrative which relies on your creativity, your imagination, and especially your voice to expand the legend. Find out how you can join the story at pleasuretownshow.com. Thanks again. Until next time.